Stand by for the Terry Saul Show in five. Roll tape. Four. Cue Terry. Three. Bring audio up. Two. Stand by. One. Play intro. Stay tuned for the Terry Soul Show, Soltissimo, on Salem's original radio station, 104.3 and 1220 AM KSLM. Hey, this is Terry Saul, Saltissimo. You know, when it comes time to move into a new home, it's time to consider Don Lule Homes. The Lule difference is simply setting the bar for quality service in Salem. Find out today about custom-built new homes. Don Lule Homes offers open floor plans, quality craftsmanship, and over 50 years of excellent experience in new construction. Beautiful homes are coming soon. Call today and ask for Erica at 503-428-699. Don Lule Homes. Well, good morning and welcome to the Terry Saul Show on Salem's original radio station, KSLM AM and FM. I am your host and I'm so glad that you joined us this morning. Amanda has joined us. It's a brand new year. Yes, it is. Happy New Year to you and your family. Thank you. You too. Today's show is being brought to you by the Lule Group, Lule's Car Connection, Don Lule Homes, Teresa Lule State Farm Insurance. And who's our guest? We have Becca with Becca Makes Buttons. Hello, Becca. How are you? Good. I'm I'm really good. How are you? Good. So good. So we first met her at the Polar plunge last year she had her booth set up and she was helping make buttons of different kinds but I you know- didn't jump in the water did you oh yes i did did you yeah my uh i think we raised we hit our goal i don't remember if our goal was i think our goal was 25 or five thousand. Oh wow yeah. i'm not i'm not sure but we we hit our goal and we went for a swim that's let me awesome. ask you a question now uh, they they asked us to do it and and we said no not going to happen. How yeah. cold was that water when you hit it? It was freezing. Yeah. I was jumping out of my skin the moment I hit the water. <laughs> yeah. I know we had one of our girls, Jackie, was We had it. a few of our people yeah. jump in. And she jumped in with one of her nieces, I guess. Mm-hmm. And boy, they both jumped out real fast. Yeah, it was, I, I could not leave the water fast enough. Yeah. So this year, I think I'm signing myself up to jump. Why? Why? Because it's okay, for a we're, good cause. We're, we're a team, but we're not going to be a team that day because I'm not jumping in that I water. I know you're not. I that's, know. It's cold. I know. <laughs> All right, Becca, tell us a little bit about yourself. Becca makes buttons. What kind of buttons do you make? Uh, pin back buttons. Um, the base is pin back buttons, but from What, what is a pin back button? Like that you wear on your shirt or um, it, it's a button has a pin on it. They've been around since the late 1800s. Try and keep up, Terry. I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> all right. No, buttons buttons go back all the way back to the very first election with George Washington and even before that with really? the, the anti-slavery movement. Yeah. Yeah. So what made you get into that? Um, so in the 70s to the 90s like i think early 90s there was a tv personality called ramblin rod when in the 80s which was when i was born he hosted a cartoon show called the ramblin rod um cartoon show and what, what was the name of it ramblin rod how come i don't remember that that sounds really familiar to me i don't remember a lot of the 80s for other reasons but uh, <laughs> you know it's okay. an Oregon. It was definitely an Oregon treasure. He started on public access and then eventually moved over to KAT 12. Okay. So when I was a little girl, you know, I woke up with the Ramblin' and Rock cartoon show. And at that time, it was shown every morning. There were like little benches um, that you see at like a football game or something like that, like little bleacher benches. And it was full of kids trying to win the smile contest. And if you won the smile contest, you got a button. And if you brought Ramblin' Rod a button for his vest, he would give you one with his face on it. Oh, nice. Okay. So every... Every kid wanted to be on the Ramon Rod show. If you were in Oregon and had access to his TV show, you wanted to be on that show. Mm-hmm. When I was three, he was doing a, a, a taping at the fair. 
at the, for the Oregon State Fairgrounds. And we did not make it in time. I was, I was super bummed out. I remember that we got there and they said, you know, it was closed. They were already filming and so we couldn't be there. And I was really sad. And we were walking around the fairgrounds and my grandfather pointed out Ramon Rod to me. He was over by the potato sack slide. He was filming a commercial for the fair at the time. And so my grandpa was like, wait, 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 wait. And then as soon as like the commercial was done, I got this like, go ahead and just let loose. And I just ran up and gave him the biggest hug. I was so excited. And uh, he, so you ambushed him. Yeah. And he gave me okay. my very first button. So oh, I guess nice. that was a little fangirl. You still have it? Uh, I do not have that one. My husband did buy me one from the 80s. That was the same one that they were giving out back yeah. then. But unfortunately, being almost 40, I've lost it throughout the years. That's sure. really sweet yeah. of your husband to do that, though. Yeah. That's really cool. What is what is your background? Where are you from? I'm from Oregon and Washington, so the Northwest. I was born in Tacoma, but I grew up in Salem. Okay. How did you end up coming to Salem? Uh, my family moved here before That's I was— That's one way to do it. <laughs> before I was even a, a year old. Yeah. So um, I, when we were at the Polar Plunge, you were uh, some of your buttons were for um, autistic, uh, Down syndrome. Oh, yeah. I have—so um, the Rock Your Socks, I, I have a, a friend who orders buttons for her grandson um, for the Rock Your socks day Mm -hmm. and so I had some of those available because I designed those for her and she's like I was like these are really cute people saw me making them and they loved them she's like oh please please share right so I had some of those available and then also the polar plunge originally I was just going to do the polar plunge ones but everybody was really excited about the rock your socks so I brought those yeah that was really fun Um, I noticed you're pretty big in the community and helping others in need it seems like you have a passion for that so my whole thing is like I grew up with the attitude that if you have two of something you share you know if you have two jackets you give someone one who who needs you know who needs one i like that if you have two you share yeah Mm -hmm. i like that yeah and so for me myself i've never needed a whole lot i just take kind of my basic necessities and i live pretty meagerly and um all the communities that i serve are actually communities that i came from so like i serve at I serve on the board for Rock, which is Recovery Outreach Community Center. In the 80s, it was the SOS shelter, which is where I lived with my mom and my sibling for a time. I work sometimes with home use services when I was a teenager on the streets. I would frequent the drop-in. And so the things that now that I'm older and, you know, I just moved back home last year after being gone for 20 years at 18, I left and moved to Washington and then I just came back last year. Immediately just being home, I guess I have a natural giving spirit. I don't know. It To me, it doesn't, it just seems natural and like the right thing to do. So it, it's kind of seems odd to me when people are like, oh, you know, this is really good for the community. You're doing this. I'm just like, shouldn't we all be doing this? You know, I, I, I don't know. To me, it just seems second nature. I think a lot of people don't realize that those things are out there um, unless they're involved in it. Yeah. And so it's harder. I think that that's where some of that can be. I know that when I started getting more involved in the community, I realized just how much there is to do and give back to so many people. There's so many organizations and so many people struggling with different things that you don't even realize. Yeah. Um, and so I think I I mean, I do commend you for doing that because not a lot of people see it and know what's going on. So for those that do help, it, it's a big deal. I guess. I mean, I can I can kind of see that. You know, I guess there would be a less need for it if everybody was on board, you know. So. You, you said a few minutes ago, and I just want to ask you a little bit about that your mom and you and your sibling were in a shelter? Yeah. Okay. When was that? Uh, in 89. Okay. Yeah. How long were you there? I don't know um, exactly how long. I was very young. I was like five or six years old. So um, we lived in 
cars. We lived in hotels. We lived in various shelters. Um, my mom was really young. She had me when she was about a month before she turned 14. Oh, wow. So, um, like, she finished high school through the YWCA program. So, like, uh, there used to be a little classroom for teen mothers um, to, that were working towards their GED or their diplomas downtown, um, real close to the old transit station Um it used to be on High Street. We always kind of lived in kind of unstable uh, such living situations when I was when I was little. Like I don't, I never lived in the same place until I was ten, and then that lasted about five years. So um, even when we did have housing, it wasn't. We weren't even in the same place for I don't know three to six months, maybe. Oh wow! Hmm. So was yeah. that tough? I'm assuming, yeah, for my mom it was. I mean, knowing with all the therapy and stuff I've been through that. It was difficult for me, but when you are a child, that's your normal, you know? So you don't realize how different you are from everyone else when all your friends are also kids at the shelter or, you know, things like that. It doesn't really register as hard or not hard. You're just... It's just... It is what it is. Yeah, you're just a kid living your life. Your mom was obviously a a young parent. Yes. But she held on to her, her two kids. For a time, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't lived with my mother since I was six, so. Yeah. What happened when you were six? Did you go into foster care or? Uh, no, my, um, at the time we were living in a car and I just remember a lot of arguments and uh, my grandmother didn't, you know, she was kind of harping on my mom about it wasn't okay to have us in a car and that wasn't the, you know, it wasn't appropriate and my mom's like, well, do you? want to take them until I get on my feet. Well, no, I don't want to raise them. They're not my not my problem. And so it was kind of this. That's whole, kind of harsh. Yeah, yeah. It was this kind of like, what's, what's going to happen with the kids? There was a person who was in my grandmother's friendship circle who offered to take us when my mom got on her feet, but she actually was not. It wasn't from an altruistic um, perspective, I guess you could say. So she actually took the opportunity to kind of twist some things in my family and tried to kidnap us. So Wow. Yeah, so it was kind of an interesting, very unstable. Um, in the end, we wound up living, when everything was said and done, I think by the time I was seven or eight, we wound up living with my grandmother, but it was more so for the welfare check that she received and not because she wanted actually to. wanted to take care of us, yeah. Uh, do you have children? No. You do a lot for the kids, though. Um, you got, you recently just did an event called Punks in the Park. Yes. yes. Pump, punks? Punks. Punks in the punks Park. Punks in the Park. Yeah, P-U-N-X. Um, I like that. My friends and I, I had a friend approach me, and she um, she really wanted to do, well, she's a she's a, a lead youth navigator for, for the drop-in, and she really wanted to do a youth resource event. Uh, for the kids called Punks in the Park, and she approached me with it, which is actually something that I kind of had experience with in Tacoma um, from a different perspective. But as far as just, you know, gathering people together to, you know, for a common cause, it's something I did a lot of in my life in Tacoma. And so, which she did not know that, but she just saw the work that I was doing with Buttons, with Home, and with a couple of the other things. So that just with rock and everything else that I'm involved in. So she um, approached me and she's like, hey, you know, do you want to do this? I said, actually, I do have experience and I would, I would love to help. In five weeks, my team and I put together um, an event that pulled in over a thousand people. Wow. 
We had support from the city. We had support from Boys and Girls Club and the Croc Center, uh, Black Joy, and all of these different organizations from grassroots to organizations that have been lawn withstanding, like Liberty House was there. Um, it was it was pretty powerful and humbling to see our community rise up in support of at-risk and homeless youth. And like uh, my partner and I, Haley, we both were homeless youth here in Salem. And so the cause is very near and dear to our heart. The whole premise is that generally um, when you have a resource event, it's not actually that appealing to the youth right. or people will do stuff, you know, like churches are fine, but not every kid is going to come to a church. They're not necessarily going to come to a building. So with Punks in the Park, we did it intentionally at the skate park, which is the heart of our our homeless crisis right now. And so we met the kids where they are and we served over 300 youth. It was the largest, it was the most youth that's ever attended a resource event wow, in Oregon. And You've got to feel proud for that. I do. I do. Um, I don't, it's hard. Like, I don't feel like, like, I don't feel like patting myself on the back is appropriate. It, Why? It just, because it, I think that it was good. I know it was good, but I still think we have a lot of work to do. And I think it was a really good kind of like starting point to like, yes, this is a need. This is a really important need. So let's dig deeper. And so, um, because the thing is, is that even the problem hasn't really changed much from when I was a kid in the eighties, I guess is what it is. And because of our population growth and everything else, it's actually worse than what it used to be. And so I just think we have a lot more work to do. And I don't really think that the time for celebration is right now. And I, I guess that might not make a lot of sense to a lot of people, but to me, it just I feel like I just need to dig deeper and keep going. Okay. We are going to take a short break. When we come back, more with today's special guests. You're listening to The Terry Saul Show on 104.3 FM, 1220 AM. We are KSLM. Today's show, it's being brought to you by the Lule Group, Lule's Car Connection, Don Lule Homes, and Teresa Lule State Farm Insurance. We'll be back with more with our guest, Becca, from Becca Makes Diamonds. I like that. Buttons. Diamonds. Buttons. No, I wanted to make diamonds. I don't make diamonds. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, then do your buttons then. Back in a little bit. Hey, this is Terry Saul, Saltissimo. Are you in the market for a new car? Well, if so, I encourage you to do what I do. Head down to Lule's Car Connection. Lule's has been selling quality vehicles for over 30 years. Lule's brokers any new vehicle selling within dealer invoice. And check this out. Lule's has financing with most major lenders and credit unions. So do what I do. Stop by Lule's Car Connection located at 2055 Mission Street in Salem and tell them Saltissimo sent you. Lule's Car Connection. You're listening to The Terry Saul Show on KSLM AM and FM. Brought to you today by the Lule Group. You're listening to The Terry Saul Show on KSLM AM and FM, brought to you today by the Lule Group. We're back to The Terry Saul Weekend Show. Today we are talking with Becca from Becca Makes Buttons. 
And I, I like that name, Becca Mates Buttons. Mm-hmm. I yeah. love it. And uh, we were talking a little bit on our last break there that uh, for a while in your life that you were um, you were homeless. Yes. Um, and you were 15 years old on your own? Yeah. Okay. How did you survive? How does a 15-year-old out there, is it, was that here in Salem? Yeah. Okay. How does a 15-year-old in this town survive when they're on their own? Well, at the time, um, I was couch surfing, which I know people don't really see couch surfing as as homelessness, but the fact is, is you're still unstable. So just because you're not necessarily living outside. Um, I had a lot of friends who knew that I was not living at home, but they didn't necessarily tell their parents. So I just stayed the night at a lot of friends' houses. I crushed a lot of couches. Um, I stayed with my best friend a lot who, you know, we, a lot of the kids had kind of unstable home lives too. So there was a lot of like sneaking in friends' windows to, you know, crash behind the bed on the floor you know, parents come say goodnight. They didn't know I was there. Um, so there was a lot of that. So I guess you could say resourcefulness. <laughs> you learn you learn to be resourceful really quick. I've always been a pretty, I guess, pleasant person for the most part. You know, I'm not, I was never really much of a troublemaker. I mean, I did get into my share of trouble from time to time, but I didn't. As a typical in, 15-year-old would. You know, I, I, I don't know if it's typical. It is. It is. <laughs> but for me, it was. Can you elaborate on what you got in trouble with? I, I was already pretty deep in my addiction. So um, I'm a recovering alcoholic with over 10 years sober currently. Good for you. So but I grew up in a household where drinking was really common. So a lot of times I was drunk, you know, but I wasn't like, very rarely was I loud or boisterous when I was, you right. know, a youth. Were you into drugs at all? Uh, yeah. Yeah. What yeah. was your drug of choice? Uh, mostly alcohol. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mostly alcohol. The other stuff got came later. I didn't really start doing drugs until I was 17. So how does a 15-year-old get alcohol? Well, you can go to any adult that is willing to take your money and buy it for you. There you go. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> I remember when I was young, I you would just sit outside the 7-Elevens or Plaid Pantry and people would drive up and you'd be like, hey, can you please, here's some money, keep, keep the change, but, you know, get me a six-pack and... 99% of the time, there was no issue, and they would come out and give you your alcohol yep. and take off. Wow. And that was it. Yep. Which wow. is kind of bizarre thinking about it nowadays, <laughs> like, wow. Yeah, it's not as hard as you think. And then you've also got, you know, if you are from a family who regularly drinks alcohol, it's not that hard to steal a couple of beers or make a bottle disappear. And there was always, I mean, there was friends in high school whose parents, you know, were very big into wine. And so having a couple of bottles of wine disappear wasn't too hard, you know? So, Mm -hmm. I mean, alcohol is the number one drug out there that more, more people die from than any other drug combined. And it's the most socially acceptable. So it's actually very easy to get your hands on alcohol if that's your drug of choice. All right. 16 years. You ready for a story? 16 years old. I live with my aunt and uncle in Morgan Hill, California on a ranch. And at 16 years old, we had a dinner and they had red wine, Burgundy, which is the worst thing to have a hangover from because it lasts about six years. (laughs) And I was drinking the wine like it was water. And my aunt looked at me and she says, stop. You're not going to be feeling good. And my uncle said, no, let the tough guy go ahead and drink. And so they let me drink. And I, I had about maybe four glasses of that. And then I, was, I went and played in the cat box for a little bit. And then I decided to go for a jog in the orchard. And I went about 20 feet. And I remember dropping to the ground. And I looked back up at the house. And my aunt and uncle were looking out the window. And they saw me. They turned off the lights and went to bed. And I slept out there the entire night. 
I've never touched Burgundy wine since then. Really? <laughs> I will not drink Burgundy wine. Yeah. Because it just visions of it. But it, it's like you say, it, it's when it's in the house, it's it's easy access. Yeah, my absolutely. Mo- yeah, my mom used to work at a few different restaurants, and so she would collect wine and have it on display. And so me and my friends would steal her wine because it was just— Borrow. It was so— it was just there. Yeah. It was so easy to just take. Or there's the liquor bottles that they keep in the freezer that you just fill back up with water and put back in there. <laughs> um, but no, you're very right. Alcohol is very easily uh, to get. Uh, I actually just quit drinking about a year and a half ago, and it's amazing how how alcohol bleeds into every aspect of people's lives and creates so many issues. Um, I think alcohol is one of the worst drugs, actually. It is. Um, yeah. Well, when you when you go over to to socialize with somebody, the first thing says, "What can I get you to drink?" I stick with water. Mm-hmm. I just I just I only have one kidney, so I don't drink right. because of the one kidney. But um, you're right; it is so easy to to come by. It's uh, yeah. Well, and there is so. It, it's funny because the Rite Aid that's across the street from the park, I remember um, they used to have a Carla Rossi display right by the back door that faced the park, which was too easy, too easy. <laughs> and we would, you know, my friends and I, we would just walk through. Someone would distract the clerk and you just grab a couple Carla Rossi jugs and just walk right out the door. And it was not that hard at all. You know, there'd be like one or two clerks. And if you're busy talking or buying a bag of chips and you you walk in with a group of like 10 people and a couple of them grab, you know, a bottle of Carlo Rossi and they were like gallon jugs and then just walk right out the door and then we just walk across the street to the park and go drink out of the bridge. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. My, uh, my grandfather, uh, who was a Italian from the old country for years, uh, he came to live with us probably 30 years ago before he passed away. And I remember one day he uh, had a truck pull up to the house there and they unloaded cases of burgundy wine in the and that was a gallon jugs and they must have had at least 25 cases and so we had that in our house thinking what are we gonna do with this stuff until he told me he's go pay the man i'm not paying the man but it's just it's it's so easy to get yeah alcohol is Mm-hmm. And and you know you kind of wonder at what age some of these kids are starting to drink alcohol. What was what was? Do you remember your earliest age when you were drinking alcohol? When I quit drinking, I you know I, I had a conversation with my mom, you know, and she was just curious at what led to everything. And I said, well, you know, well, I you know I've been drinking since I was twelve, so I really think it was time it's time to stop. And she got the most guilty look on her face, and she said, "Baby girl, you've been drinking since you were three. Wow. So I drank not regularly. Like when I was twelve is when I actively got it for myself, but from three to twenty nine. Wow. All right, we're going to take a a short break. Uh, Don't go anywhere because we've got a lot more to talk today about. Today's show is being brought to you by the Lule Group, Lule's Car Connection, Don Lule Homes, and Teresa Lule State Farm Insurance. More with Becca, who makes buttons in just a minute. Stick around. I don't know why I like to say it like that, but it sounds good. (laughs) Becca, who makes buttons. Back in a bit. You're listening to The Terry Saul Show on KSLM AM and FM. Brought to you today by the Lule Group. We're back in five, four, Q Terry, two, one, you're on. 
Stay tuned for The Terry Saul Show on Salem's original radio station, 104.3 FM and 1220 AM KSLM. Today's show is being brought to you by the Lule Group, featuring Lule's Car Connection, Don Lule Homes, and Teresa Lule's State Farm Insurance. We are back. This is All Weekend Show, Salem's original radio station, 104.3 FM, 1220 AM, KSLM. I am your host, and Amanda Smith has joined us this morning, and we have Becca, who makes buttons. Yes. Why do I say it like that? <laughs> Just say Becca, who makes buttons. Okay. So you were um, on our last break. You said that you had drank from 3 to 29. What made you, what was your stopping point? Well, so before... Um, I was pretty active in the music industry, so um, I've actually got to travel the world because of working in the music industry. Doing like what? Every aspect from production to performing, running merch, being a road dog, Good being a sound you. tech. Um, what was the farthest you went? Uh, Europe. I've done wow. five, five months in Europe between two years. Oh, wow. fun. Was that, was that enjoyable? Oh, yeah. No, That's it was, awesome. It was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, it was a dream come true. Okay. But that came after I got sober. Okay. Like, I would have never made it. I couldn't leave the country with my, my addiction. It was too much of a risk. Yeah. Was that with the alcohol? Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. So what was your changing point to make you quit? So I had worked so hard. To, I mean, it's a male-dominated industry, which a lot of things are, and it takes... I started out on street teams when I was a kid. Um, St- street teams? Yeah, so that? it's when, like, a new a new album drops for an artist, you go out and you flyer, you flyer for shows. Oh, okay. and Got it. So, you you know, spread spread the word, because this yeah. is, I mean, pre-internet. I right. mean, the internet it's was around, marketing. but <laughs> nobody was... Nobody, nobody was really... Nobody knew about it, yeah. Yeah, there wasn't no MySpace, no Facebook, no Instagram, none of that, so... When I was like twelve and thirteen, I would I would find these bands that I loved and I would street team for them and like let people know, you know, whenever they were coming through town or coming through town, they would send me like stickers and flyers and things and I pass that out. So that's kind of where it got started and I just through diligence and talking to people, you know, I would connect with people in music and you know, I was in my first band when I was fourteen. Okay. So, did I, you do a musical instrument, or did you sing? Or? Yeah, I play bass and I sing. Okay, awesome. So, um, but yeah, I worked really hard in the industry, and I got I had worked myself up to working on some pretty big tours, and my alcoholism started getting in the way to the point where I was I had insulted some wives of some pretty big, notable um, rock and roll groups, um, and it's it's really quick because you know they say that. You can do all the good things in the world, but people are going to remember, you know, the one time that you messed up. And yeah. gratefully, with the rock and roll industry, um, it, it's kind of known for being a little loud and rambunctious. So, you know, I learned that if you don't make a habit of something, you don't necessarily, you don't end your career, you know. But at the time I was on tour, I was playing bass for a band and... Um, it was one of the best, well, it was the best band that I had ever been in, and we were touring and in San Antonio. We had taken a couple of shots at Jameson, and we had a altercation on stage, and I blacked out, and I hit him with my bass Whoa. while we were playing a show. And it ended my band, it ended the friendship, and I got home, and I told my now ex-husband at the time, I was like, you know, I told him what just a horrible nightmare the tour had been. And, you know, I was kind of barely holding on to my sanity. And I was like, I just need to take a break from alcohol. I just need to take a break. And he's like, okay, you know, like, so take a break, you know, and figure out what you need. And about a week after I'd been home, he came home from work and he goes, hey, 
I thought you were going to take a break because you just told me you had like this really, really rough tour and you weren't really sure about your relationship with alcohol. You said you were going to take a break. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take a break. And he goes, do you realize that every day since you've been home, I have come home and you've had a rum and Coke in your hands? Hmm. And I looked down and I saw like the drink in my hand. And I just remember like that moment of realization. And I was like, oh my God. And he looks at me and he said, why? And I said, I have no idea. And that was my last drink. I parted down. I parted down the drain. I quit cold turkey, um, and I started soul searching. I just seriously soul searching. I started asking questions, um, like the kind of questions you're not supposed to ask in your family. Like, you know, where does this come from? Why? Are, why do we not talk to this person? Why do we? You know, and just started digging into. Basically, just kind of started opening up the closet to my family skeletons, and I wanted to know why I was the way I was. And that is what... Did you find the answers? I have been, yeah. I mean, that's just what led me to a path of recovery. I mean, I at this point in my life, I understand alcohol. I understand the darkness of alcohol. Um, I have no place for it in my life anymore. Um, but, I mean, that's... We definitely don't have time for that. I can promise you that. I yeah. mean, this is years of therapy and years of traveling and things. But I can say that, you know... It is true that if you don't make things a habit, other opportunities open up for you. Because even after that tour, you know, I still was able to work for a band that I got to go to Europe on and, and things. So my even though I don't actively tour or anything like that currently because my business is more important to me at this time, that door is not closed to me. Like I still have a lot of really great connections in the music industry. I can still travel the world if I want to, but I just really enjoy being home. And I really enjoy um, my button business. It, it brings me a lot of joy and satisfaction that I've never had with anything else in my life. So when you quit cold turkey, did you did you ever have any times where you thought, man, I just want one more drink, just one more, and I'll be fine? At the time, no. Um, I, I'm a very much put myself in the fire and see how things go type of person. And so I did a lot of soul searching very quickly. Like I would like get to the heart of matters and really dig in to, to find out what was going on. It wasn't actually until I started going through my divorce that I actually wanted to drink again. And even then at that time, I had a lot of uh, people around me. I was really working hard to increase my, um, I can't remember the word right now, but it's, you know, like a nurturing group of people, like support. Yeah. Isn't that the most important thing though, is if you, if you have a lot of people around you, you can get through just about anything. Absolutely. You know, so I was increasing my support network. I was surrounding myself with people who encouraged my sobriety, and they're the ones that got me through my divorce. And then um, I started going to recovery meetings and things about around my, because it was my second year being sober when I went through my first divorce. And so that was um, really where I started kind of connecting more with others who were also sober and with other like-minded people, and that really helped. But I know at this point in my life, there's there's nothing that, to me, it's um, it's just throwing my life away, and there's no point. What are you most proud of today, right now? What are you most proud of? That I don't give up on myself. You know, statistically, um, with everything that I have lived through, I am kind of an anomaly. Um, my view of the world the way I love people, the way that I still strive to connect with others. If you looked at someone who had had my life and my upbringing, I'm beating the odds every chance I get. And to me, I think that that is 
something to be proud of. I'm mm-hmm. the only person I know of in my family who's like me, um, except for I have a cousin who's a little bit younger than I am, who's absolutely amazing and is making her life amazing. I'm so incredibly proud of her. For most of the people in my family, I'm the only one like me. Good for you. Good for you. So how long has it been? You've been sober? Ten years. Yeah, it'll be 11 in July, but yeah. That's awesome. That, that is, awesome. is. That's huge. Thank you. So that's congratulations. Great. Have you come across any, um, I guess, what would be your biggest challenge since since quitting drinking and finding yourself? What would you say is your biggest challenge since then? I guess the death of ego, you know, I think. The death of ego? Yeah. So a lot of times we get in the way, you know, our we allow ourselves to get in the way yes. of of the things that we need that nurture us the most. And so it's really hard to get over ourselves, like get, to get over myself. So I think that's probably been my yeah. biggest challenge is, you know, I have to go through and relearn things, you know, because if I, you know, going through my life, not everything that I was taught and raised with was is appropriate or right or is serving my life. And to be willing to accept that and to actively look for change and actively look for a different way of living is not easy. I think it's something a lot of us struggle with. You know, people want change or they want to, they want a different result in their life, but they're not willing to truly look at who they are or see what parts of their life aren't serving them. And that's something I've been actively doing since I quit drinking. And it has been the most challenging because there's a lot of things that don't necessarily serve me. You know, people, places, things. It's all it's all a daily struggle and just something that you kind of take one day at a time. But ultimately, it's, you know, not being afraid to be wrong. Yeah, I think that um, I know for me personally, I'm always learning and growing mm-hmm. and figuring out new obstacles and challenges that I put in place myself that yeah. I don't even know I'm aware of. And so figuring out that... It, the way you describe it is actually perfect. Yeah, just doing that self-searching, the soul-searching, figuring out your wants and needs and where the root of the problem is. And Because sometimes I'm my own worst enemy in a, in a lot of things, and I don't even realize it. Um, and it, it it's a daily struggle uh, a lot of the times, just figuring out and navigating around myself. Absolutely. All right, we need to take a quick break. Um, don't go anywhere. This is getting real interesting here. Today's show is being brought to you by the Lule Group, Lule's Car Connection, Don Lule Homes, Teresa Lule State Farm Insurance. And we'll be back in just a minute. And I guarantee you we're going to talk about these buttons and where you can get a button made and how she makes these buttons. And I like saying that word button. I, I see that. Can you figure that out? I- <laughs> so we'll be back in just a minute. Stick around. You're listening to The Terry Saul Show on KSLM AM and FM, brought to you today by the Lule Group. insurance get the very best coverage with state farm agent Teresa lule in salem state farm keeps you and your family covered with great auto insurance that's also a great value visit online at teresalule.com or on facebook better yet stop in the offices at 890 commercial street southeast in salem or call 503-378-1100 
We're back in five, four, Q Terry, two, one, you're on. You're listening to The Terry Saul Show on KSLM AM and FM, brought to you today by the Lule Group. We are back with our final few minutes. Today's guest has been Becca from Becca Makes Buttons. Okay, let's talk about your buttons. All right. All right. What kind of what kind of buttons? You said these are these are stick pin buttons. Is that uh, the pin back buttons? Yeah. Okay, pin back buttons. Okay. Yeah. How do you make one? Um, with a very simple uh, press. So it's a it's a machine press with a die that just presses all the parts together. Okay, but you have to design the button, though, right? Yeah, you use a computer to put the design together. Sometimes people send me pictures or designs or logos they already have. Um, or, like, at my shop, there's a creation station where you can take a circle that I've already... I have, like, literally thousands of pre-cut circles that you can decorate with stickers, markers, things like that, and, and make your own button from that. And then I kind of guide you through the process of making it. I've been doing custom buttons for bands and businesses um, since I started in February of 2011. Hmm. So um, been in business for over over a decade um, making buttons. I've been Becca makes buttons since 2018. That's when I switched over to an LLC from a sole proprietor. Yeah. So I, I do um, mostly by hand. I do I did just upgrade to a foot powered press, but I still load everything by hand quality and um, consistency is extremely important to me so i like to have that that quality control and have a solid product that i'm proud of and that the people who purchase from me can also be proud of how long does it take to make a button uh, for one button, less than thirty seconds. It's really quick. I did it at the Jeez. Polar Plunge, and it was it was awesome. What it was fun and easy time, you know? and quick. <laughs> so, what made you want to open up your button shop? I know that the rant was it Randall Rod, Ramblin Rod, Ramblin Rod. Um, but what uh, in two thousand eleven were you like? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna start this journey. <laughs> well, um, so like I said, Ramblin Rod was definitely so. You know, like I, life was pretty dark when I was a kid. And yeah. so he was a bright spot in my life, like watching those cartoon shows, getting to meet him. Cause I mean, you know, like that's your you hero. You met a celebrity yeah, in, at that point. Yeah. yeah. You're, that's your hero, you know? And when I was eight, I had a membership to the Boys and Girls Club over on Summer Street. And um, I spent a lot of time in the art room because I just always gravitate to arts and crafts. I love doing things with my hands. And they had an old, not very good button maker. Like, like we couldn't get the guy that was like teaching us how to make buttons couldn't really get it to work properly and press the buttons properly. But I was so excited because I did not know that you could actually make buttons too. You couldn't just get them from, you know, buying them at the store or whatever. You could actually make them yourself. And then I went to the Amsel Corn Festival when I think I was 10 and they had a button station there where they were like cutting out um, pictures from magazines and stuff, mostly corn because it was a corn festival. So I was like at that station uh, making buttons and then the teenagers who were running the station were kind of bored, kind of not interested. And they were like, okay, well, you need to leave some for the other kids. And I like looked around. I was the only kid at the table and I was like so bummed. I'm like, what do you mean other kids? Like... I'm here. Yeah. So, um, but from that point on, like every time, like I went to Bumper Shoot in Seattle and they had a little button station there. And like every time I went anywhere and there was a chance to make buttons, I was all over it. And I was so excited. And finally in 2011, like I was just like, why don't I just buy my own? Like this, yeah. this is silly to me, you know? So I 
bought a button maker and I was like, I can make all the buttons I want. No one can tell me any different. <laughs> so that's what I did. I love that. So <laughs> how many buttons do you have in your house? Um, in my house, not many because okay. they're all at the shop now. So how many do you have there? Thousands. <laughs> thousands. I turn. I keep one button from every order I've made since 2011. Oh, nice. And I turn them into art. That's so like cool. the countertop at my shop is buttons. I currently am working with a friend, uh, Inner Being Fine. She's an amazing epoxy artist here in Salem. Um, and she's working on a tabletop um, with all the buttons I've made from businesses in Salem. That's wow. cool. And so wow. the, there's a little round table I have in there that's going to be that. I have, um, I have a dinosaur... A humanoid dinosaur that is covered in buttons and at her feet is also one of, you know, so like I take one of every button I've ever made and I use it to make art that so the shop kind of grows with that, too. So people can right. kind of see the history. So you can see like when I wasn't very good <laughs> and my print quality was not great. And then you can actually see the progression how you grow. to the how the quality has increased over the years. So. So when so you started in 2011, but you opened up your storefront in 2018. Uh, no, last year. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that had to have been pretty exciting. It was. Uh, yeah, I, it was a dream come true. Abs- to have a storefront. I mean, I always wanted a button shop, and people laughed at me. They were like, "Becca, that's that's dumb. Like nobody's gonna come to a button shop." I was like, "Okay, you know." Pretty much when people tell me my ideas are dumb, I just don't share with them my ideas right. anymore. You and I prove to them that they're not dumb. Well, I just, you know, I know that I see the world very differently than most people. So I just, I've kind of always just marched to the beat of my own drum. And I'm like, you know what? I like the idea of we'll see. Yeah. And I like to have that experience. I want to prove to myself if I can or can't. I'm not just going to take someone's word for it. Right. So um, I've I've wanted, like I researched, there's a button shop in Canada. There's um, a little button shop in Portland and they all are doing something different. Like mm-hmm. the one in Portland is more like a zine based shop. So they do a lot of magazines and you can also make buttons there and they also sell buttons. But it was just something that I was absolutely in love with. I had this idea and it incorporates like my creation station is it just creates like this. <laughs> it's, it's hard to explain, but my goal is to inspire creativity in others. Yeah. Um, it starts with buttons, but I've had people, like I had this 70-year-old woman who made buttons with me because I used to travel with, with my button shop um, up and down the West Coast from like 2016 until COVID hit. You know, go to these events and things. And I had like this 70-year-old woman who she had never made anything in her life. And she was really nervous about it. She's like, I don't want to mess it up. I said, honey, you can't mess this up. I said, I'll be with you every every part of the process. She made her button and she'd taken the time. She put things that she liked from the sticker she found on it. And when she made it, she looked at me and she smiled. Her eyes just glowed. And she's like, that's real neato. And I was like, yeah. And she's like looking at it. And she's got her button in her hand. And she's just looking at it and smiling. She's like, I wonder. And then she like asked me a question about, you know, she's like, when they you know, so like the embellishments on things. You, you think I could do that? I said, honey, I think you can do anything. Mm-hmm. Nice. And she just walked off in like a cloud of self-discovery. And like, I love that. Like, I can tell that you love it. You've on this segment, you talking about your button shop, you've, you're glowing over here. Yeah. It's yeah. my heart. It's, it's, it is a hundred percent my heart. My shop is my heart. It's like, if, if people want to get to know me, if they want to know what I'm about, Come hang out with me at my shop and yeah. you'll you'll find out. Like it's it's bright, it's colorful, it's cheery. I've lived a lot of my life in darkness and sadness. I don't want that at my shop. Yeah. 
Like, my shop is the world I want to live in. Mm-hmm. Your shop is located at 950 Commercial Street Southeast. You're open uh, Thursday and Friday from 11 to 6, and then Saturday and Sunday from 10 to 5. Um, the best time to get a hold of you, give you a buzz, and the number is 971-304-7491. That's 971-304-7491. Come on in there with your ideas. And right? you can do, yeah. you do uh, private parties also, yeah. too. Yeah, right? actually, I'm doing, I do private corporate parties. Uh, I'm doing a party tonight with Adventures with Autism. I did a party with SMI. Uh, for their employee appreciation party, I do birthday parties. I do a lot of stuff, uh, parties for recovery homes and group homes. And yeah, I just, awesome. I, love, I love helping people. Well, thank you so much for coming in, Becca. We truly appreciate it and everything that you're doing for the community. Thank you for having me. You're yeah. a fun person to talk to. Would yes. you come back and join us sometime? Sure. Alrighty. We are just about out of time for today's show. Remember, you can catch our show every Saturday at 10 a.m. and a replay Sundays at 6 p.m. right here on Salem's original radio station, KSLM. A reminder, if you missed any of today's show or would like to hear any of my shows, you can always hear a podcast on our official KSLM website at www.kslm.news or on my official website at www.terrysaul.com. If you would like to drop me a note, I'd love to hear from you. My email address is terry at kslm.news. We'll see you next time. Take care and be safe. You've been listening to The Terry Saul Show on Salem's original radio station 104.3 FM and 1220 AM KSLM. Today's show is brought to you by the Lule Group featuring Lule's Car Connection, Don Lule Holmes, and Teresa Lule's State Farm Insurance. That's a wrap. Thanks everybody. Good show. Bye everybody.